And open your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. We're in our series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith, 21.8. Genesis 21, verse 8. This is the word of God. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For this son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. The thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar. Put it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat on opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the boat. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Father, give us understanding of your word even now, we pray as we come to it. Uh, Father, uh, by your spirit, open our eyes to see your care for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. It's the early morning hours and the only activity in Abraham's compound is Abraham himself. He's up early and he's putting together some, some supplies of food and water. And now as daybreak arrives, he's trying to get them adjusted comfortably on the back of Hagar, his slave, who's the mother of his son, Ishmael. Now 17, Ishmael stands nearby. He's bleary-eyed, and he's confused. Uh, And he watches the, the tears welling up in the eyes of his father and his mother. Abraham then embraces his son, and she kisses him goodbye and watches... He watches as Hagar and Ishmael walk away from his secure tents and out into the world and who knows where. Abraham continues to gaze even as they fade away across the distant horizon. It's not a pretty picture in her eyes. On the face of it, it seems to be one of the Bible's harshest and saddest stories. Yet it is Abraham acting in obedience to God. It is Abraham putting faith for the future of his son Ishmael in God. Trusting God will take care of him. So to find out what's going on here and the meaning it has for us, let's let's go to the text. First, we see discord. Verse 8, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. So we start with a happy note. It's a celebration. Last week we saw the birth of laughter, the birth of Isaac. What great joy. Sarah said, God's brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. 
Now the joy continues. It's time for uh, Isaac to be weaned from nursing. He's probably about three years old at this point. To mark the occasion, Abraham throws a, a big party. And his entourage are probably a thousand people. They're all enjoying the festivities. Little Isaac is the center of attention and is the focal point of affection of the entire community. This child probably named Laughter commands the spotlight. And Sarah is there, the beaming mother, and she's taking it all in. When out of the corner of her eye, she notices Ishmael making fun of young Isaac, what the New Testament actually calls persecution in Galatians 4. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So it is hard to tell exactly what's going on. Perhaps you can imagine a 17-year-old already extremely jealous of all the attention that Isaac gets, teasing his young half-brother. After all, for 14 years, Ishmael was the center of attention, the center of his father's attention. Uh, And uh, he was Abraham's only child. And now he plays second fiddle to Isaac. His only defense seems to be to strike out at Isaac. And Sarah's taking it in. Like most mothers, she's uh, extremely defensive about her own child. Any of us can understand that because of the way we feel about our children, our, our grandchildren. And so she's fuming on the inside. She takes Abraham aside, verse 10. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Get rid of her. Get rid of him. Now notice she will not use Hagar's name, nor will she use uh, Ishmael's name. Uh, She will not refer to him even as Abraham's son. Uh, Moses, in fact, does not use his name for the entire chapter. And her reasoning is stated really here, sums up the discord. There's no way she wants this boy to share in the inheritance of her son, which, in fact, at that point in time, he would have had to share some. Now, on the surface, it seems quite cruel. A couple of things you may want to note. There was a law or a custom in that day that, in effect, if Abraham could give Hagar, who is a slave, her freedom in exchange for Ishmael being willing to forfeit his inheritance. And second, while the word boy is used here time and again, Ishmael's 17 years old. He is the exact same age as when Joseph was sold into slavery just a few chapters later. And that was an age in those days when a person was very likely considered to be an adult. Of course, we need to see as well that this is the consequence of one's past sin affecting one's present life, even when a person's been forgiven. Remember, Sarah said, Hagar's an Egyptian. They acquired her when they went to Egypt in a time of famine many years before, an action that represented their failure to trust God as they should. Then to complicate it, Ishmael was born at a time when Abraham and Sarah were trying to bring about the child that God promised by their own power, their own works. Since Sarah had not been able to conceive, she gave Hagar to Abraham for a night in order to have a child that would be the promised child. 
Again, as in the famine, they'd sin by failing to trust God. And the consequence continues to come home to haunt them. The discord has its roots then in a failure to live by faith and instead live by works. Abraham continues to learn the hard way what it is to live by faith. And so the discord is real. And so is the distress of Abraham. Verse 11, And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. This is a, a gut-wrenching moment for Abraham. Ishmael is his son. He loves Ishmael. I mean, he was satisfied prior to Isaac's birth to accept Ishmael as God's promised child. In fact, in talking with God back in Genesis 17, he says, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Certainly understands Sarah's concerns and feelings, but I mean, this is more than he can bear. This is a difficult decision he must make. And I want you to know what he evidently does. He prays. You say, well, how do you know he prays? Well, because verse 12 is an answer from God to his prayer. It's a good lesson for us. When we're in distress, when we're uncertain what we should do, we should certainly pray. Ask God what he wants us to do. I mean, Abraham remembers the last big blow-up in the relationship between Sarah and Hagar. It occurred when Hagar was pregnant with Ishmael, and Abraham let Sarah deal with Hagar as she wished. And Sarah treated her so badly <clears throat> that she ran away. God intervened then in Hagar's life at that point and brought her back. Go back to Genesis 16 to read that. Now Abraham wants God to intervene again. And so God does with a surprising twist. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. First he says, don't be displeased, don't be distressed about Hagar and Ishmael. Now, have you ever been concerned for what you thought was a, a legitimate reason, and somebody said to you, ah, don't worry about that, all right? And Abraham, he's torn up about this, and God steps in and says, you know, don't be. And I think if anybody else but God had said this to Abraham, or when people say it to us, what do we think? We think we'd be justified in telling them to mind their own business. They do not know our struggle. But God's the one talking here. It brings to mind what he says to us in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Abraham has prayed. Now God says, don't be anxious. Don't be stressed out. I have an answer for you. What God's saying is, I've got all this in my hand. I will take care of this. I think I might interrupt God and say perhaps what Abraham was thinking. What do you mean don't be distressed? Didn't you hear what Sarah wants me to do? She wants me to send Hagar and Ishmael away. She wants me to send my son away. 
How in the world am I going to deal with Sarah if she keeps that sort of attitude towards Hagar and Ishmael? Think of the constant conflict I've got to put up with. But God says what? Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Husbands, did you see that? <laughs> uh, Abraham's told to listen to his wife. Now, some of us may need help with that skill. Uh, sometimes we may need help to admit when we're wrong. Um, uh, and our wives are right. Uh, and Abraham gets set straight by God himself. I don't have time to talk about all the marriage dynamics here, but there's something for you can think about. Uh, and I'm going to see, though, Abraham shaking his head. You mean send them away? You really mean to send them away from me? And God says, Abraham, you've got to trust me here. Everything is going to work out all right. Simply trust me. But God, this, this really seems like a bad plan. How will they survive? How will they live? Who will protect them? One of the hardest things for us to do is to let go of what we think is off in our control. You know, we get the idea, unless we're in control, unless we can watch over our children personally, things are going to go bad. Let them go to school or to camp or a, a church retreat for the first time. Or let them drive for that first time. We're off to college. There comes a time in our lives where we have to learn to trust God. And there's always a reason why. Here the answer is actually a theological one. Sarah's right about this inheritance business. Because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. God says, Isaac's the true heir. Isaac's the one who's the heir of the covenant promises. Isaac's the child produced by faith. Ishmael's produced by works. So Paul takes this and uses it as a, as a major teaching point in the New Testament. Abraham has to learn by trusting the word and promises of God that all of life is to be lived by faith. Hence, Isaac's the one who must receive the blessing, and through whom the blessing must come to the whole world, meaning Jesus will be the descendant of Isaac. Then Abraham thinks, but, but what about Ishmael? What happens when a son when he's cast out in the world? What's going to become of him? What future is there for him out there roaming in the world? And when God answers in verse 13, he affirms the promise he'd already made about Ishmael back in chapter 17. Don't you remember what I told you, Abraham? And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. God will take care of Ishmael. Uh, Abraham, you've got to learn to trust me. Abraham's name, his name means recall the father of many nations. And here's where that begins come about. So let's look at the departure. Verse 14 summarizes it. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, put it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. You say, how did Abraham do it? Two words, obedience and faith. 
He could do it because God told him to do it, and it was his pattern to practice obedience. He could do it because God told him to do it, and he trusted God's word that God would take care of Hagar and Ishmael. But I'm sure it was not easy for Hagar and Ishmael. I'm sure they, Ishmael had a thousand questions for Hagar as they made that lonely walk in the wilderness. Questions perhaps Hagar could not really answer. Sure, Abraham had told her everything would be all right, that God had said this was the thing to do, but, but it's not Abraham who's out here all alone. It's not Abraham who has to deal with the questions of Ishmael. Her emotions move back and forth between tears and anger. Because it's hot, she and Ishmael are constantly drinking from the water on her back. It was on such a stop that she notices the water's gone. No wonder the burden seemed a little bit lighter the last few miles. She's no longer carrying the weight of the water on her shoulders, but she is carrying the weight of the world. Now Hagar takes Ishmael hot and exhausted, and, and he's not used to working or walking in the desert heat like his slave mother. Keep in mind, she carried the water, though he was 17 years old. He was not a slave. And she settles him under a bush. And as his tears begin to flow from her eyes, she moves a bow shot away. Verses 15, 16. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. She could not bear to watch her child die out here in the desert. Where's God now? Where are those assurances of Abraham that everything's going to be all right? Between her own sobs, she hears the sounds of Ishmael's in the distance. And those promises of God seem part of another life. Have you ever thought that No one knows the tears that you shed in private. The tears you shed that come when you think no one is looking. Do you remember the time in your life that you felt like Hagar? The point of despair you felt abandoned by God and all who are close to you? Where someone you placed a ton of trust in, they've they've let you down. Someone close to you. Here's Hagar wondering what in the world is going on in her life. Sold as a slave, as a young girl. Now she's free with a 17-year-old son and no place to go. Think, do you remember a time or times when you felt nobody cares? Well, if that's the case, I've got good news. Someone always hears our tears. And that someone's God. God heard the voice of the boy And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Again, Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything. So many times we think that, but then we say, You just don't understand my situation. You don't understand how bad things are in my life. I've got the right to be anxious. I've got the right to be stressed out. 
I've got the right to be upset. I would tell you that the plight of Hagar here is about as desperate as the plight of any human being. All alone in the desert, wilderness with her son, and their tears are the only water that they have. Somehow Hagar is forgetting what she learned 18 years before this, that God's the God who sees. God saw her in a similar situation then. God came to her. God made promises to her. God commanded her. She trusted God. And she did as he said. But now she's back. She's alone. And she fears she and her son are going to die. But the God who saw her 18 years ago does see her. And now she learns it again. Ishmael means God hears. And certainly, he's heard the tears and he tells Hagar, I will take care of you. And I will take care of Ishmael. He will become a great nation. That sounds well and good. He gives her some much needed hope. But in the immediate situation, she has another care. Verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. See, God was there all the time. God had already brought her to a place of provision. But she did not see it until God opened her eyes. God gives them the water they need. God's taking care of them. The water's an immediate confirmation sign of what God's going to do. And God continued to provide care. And God was with the boy. And he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert in the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God was with the boy. That's the key phrase. God's taking care of Ishmael as he said he would do. Friends, what's the message there for us? Perhaps there's the thought in our minds that somehow our particular situation, and you fill in the blank as to what it is, will get out of God's hand. We become distressed, and we think everything's absolutely hopeless. Instead of do not be anxious about anything, we become anxious about everything. How often we forget God who provides our salvation through Jesus Christ is the God who cares for us. And we forget what Jesus said. I am with you always to the very end of the age. God sees. God hears. God will take care of us. So what about us? 30-year-old Jane Marzuski, she's a Liberty University graduate from Zanesville, Ohio. She has a stage name, Nightbird. She appeared on America's Got Talent uh, earlier this month. She has an original song called It's Okay. Uh, and uh, two days after she sang it on there, it was the top-selling song on iTunes. The irony is that if you look at Jane's life, it's anything but, but okay. 2017, she learned or was told that she had six months to live. She began a battle with breast cancer, stage three. 
2018, she was declared cancer-free. A few months later, the cancer returned, and she faced a single-digit chance of survival. And then her husband of five years walked out the door. So she went on alone, and she won that battle again last July, declared cancer-free. But now it's back. It's in her liver, her spine, her lungs. Her chance of survival is now at 2%. But as she said on the show, she said, that's not zero. It was that optimism in her statement, you can't wait until life is not hard anymore before you decide to be happy, has captivated many. And the host of the show, Terry Crews, said, you are the voice we all need to hear this year. Now, why is, why is her voice the one we need to hear? Angela Davis is a writer. She puts it this way. It's a sort of rough paraphrase. What is her hope despite her circumstances? How can she declare it's okay when it clearly isn't? America's captivated because hope and joy are not natural responses when life falls apart. So where does her hope originate? In the interview, she said, Jane said, I believe that God can heal in one instant. also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field with me. And if God pulled up with this hardship too soon, it would have pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. And she wrote in a May 3rd blog post, maybe we missed it. What God showed us when he first introduced himself, that he will crawl into the dirt to be near us, and he will fill, fill our lungs with air when we don't know how to breathe. So why did she take this name Nightbird, by the way? Well, after a long story, but sure, she heard birds singing in the night in anticipation of sunrise. And she said, I want to be that way. Even when I'm in the middle of the dark time and there are no signs that it will end, I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation of the good things that I trust are coming. And no, she doesn't sugarcoat her suffering. She writes, I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander. Answering prayers they didn't pray for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning he sent them bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He's more a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes near. We might add... He didn't send Hagar and Ishmael back to the security of home, but he watched over them in the desert. So I do believe that when we're in pain, it means God must be far. You see, Jane has hope because she says that's when God's nearest. I'm still reeling, drenched in sorrow. I'm still begging, bargaining, demanding, disappearing, and I guess that means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing near to me again, 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 no matter how many times he's sent away. Friends, that is faith. 
That is hope. Jane knows God will take care of her. And God will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we can say right now that you see, you hear, and you care. Father, whether we're standing by a collapsed condominium in Florida right now, by the sickbed of someone we love, or in a prison cell in China being persecuted for loving Jesus. So, Father, whatever situation we face right now, whatever it is, Father, remind us, you're the God who sees, you're the God who cares, and you are the God who takes care of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.